Yeah. All right. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Rolling Thunder podcast Welcome with Welcome to Lab City. Ben Mertens here with Trey Hunter, J.D. Taylor, and Clemente. And we are going to finish out the season with a little awards talk. I don't believe any Thunder players are going to win any of the major awards. So we're going to do awards just for Thunder players only. Give those guys some love. We're going to go through MVP, most improved player, defensive player of the year, sixth man of the year, rookie of the year, and a most surprising player category, which is not a real award, but we're going to do it anyways. Which uh, you guys want to start with MVP or save MVP for last? Uh, yeah, let's, let's start with MVP. Yeah, let's go oh. for MVP first. All right. I told you guys each to come up with three candidates. So, all right. Uh, JD wanted to do this one first. So, JD, who are, who are your candidates? I mean, well, first is obviously Shea. Uh, because just how he's played this year. And then number two, I had Kenny. And then number three, I had Dort. I think Kenny's probably the most interesting one out there, but I put him at number two because he was consistently valuable throughout the entire season. He played over 60 games and he was just reliable with steady production off, of, off the bench for a bench unit that performed really well, which was mostly in part of how he played. I think he did very good as like a sort of jack of all trades and he sort of helped that bench unit function pretty good. Yeah, he was the played in the most games for the Thunder, 66 uh, this season, and he was he was really good. He shot the three ball way better than he has in his career, not on a ton of attempts, um, but he did it well. His playmaking, I think, isn't quite captured in how many assists he had, but in like the kind of Mark Dagnall system that he likes of a lot of like side to side action before getting to the main action, he was good at that, and he just did a lot of you know Kenny Hustle plays. How about your three, Clemente? Well, I think Shea is pretty is the obvious one for self-explanatory reasons. Blue Dort as well. Um, but I think I'll spice it up a bit with Ferg. I said we don't all say the same guys. And I'd probably say Al Horford. Uh, he was pretty good the first half of the season. He was able to, like, help bring the funder to a respectable, you know, record around 500 until they eventually, you know, shut everything down with him and Mike Muscala and SGA. But up until that point, Al Horford was playing pretty well with the funder. I think he was shooting career highs and, like, three-point three-pointers main, three-pointers attempted. So I feel like Horford would have, if the funder really wanted to, he probably could have kept playing Horford and SGA and everybody else probably end up with like one of the play-in spots. Yeah, they would have probably been in that mix where, you know, the Grizzlies and the Spurs were and then the Pelicans and Kings just out there. They probably would have finished somewhere around there. I, so I had SGA number one, just to kind of go through that. He, um, the Thunder were 16 and 19 in the games he played and um, a lot worse than that in the games he didn't play. He shot 51% from the field. He averaged almost 24 <clears throat> points a game, six assists per game. Uh, both of those led the team. Um, and he just looked so much better than last season. I think he was the kind of, I think he could have been an all-star if the Thunder had won slightly more games or if he'd been on a team that won slightly more games with that same level of production. And I think the Really impressive thing about his season was this wasn't just, you know, Chris Paul's gone, Dennis Schroeder's gone, so he scored more because he took more shots. He was extremely efficient and still managed to up his scoring and took over that lead playmaker role, whereas last year that was definitely more of Chris Paul and even Truder's job than his. Um, he was just fantastic this year. I had Dort second um, and third. I put Aleski Pokoshevsky because the Thunder's goal this season was to lose games. He had a negative 16.7 net rating, which is the third worst in the entire league among players who played a certain number of minutes. Moses Brown was actually the worst in the entire league, but Poku played a, a good bit more minutes than him. Um, I do want to say 
I saw nice stuff I enjoyed from Poku. I saw flashes of good playmaking. I saw confidence, um, but he uh, contributed to losing more than anybody else in the squad this year. And that was uh, especially on the second half of the season, the Thunder's goal. So I put him third. Well, I, I think the consensus, and I'm, I agree with both all you guys about SGA and, and Dort being one and two, obviously they're the, they're the two best players on the team. SGA's presence and, you know, you mentioned the record bin and how they did while he was in the lineup before the uh, plantar fasciitis. And then obviously Dort's ability on both sides of the ball, he obviously improved on the offensive side and he became one of the best defenders in the league. So those are your two guys, but I think, you know, for me, I chose between Baisley and Teo Maladone, and I'm going to go with Maladone um, just for the fact that the guy played more games than anybody on the team. Um, I was super impressed with the way he stepped in as basically the go-to point guard, um, especially when SGA was out and whenever the George Hill uh, injury happened and after they traded him. So um, you could obviously, when we get to the rookie of the year and all that, you can mention him too, but I think you you just bring up his name with MVP on the team for the fact that he played so much. He was extremely consistent. I think Dagnall and and Presti were ra- uh, raved about you know how he played all year and were excited about his his uh, the structure of his game and all that stuff. So I, I ultimately chose him. I think if Baisley wouldn't have got hurt there at the All Star break, I think uh, in my mind he would have had a, a run for that. But um, and even the way he played after he came back from the injury, you know almost made me choose him. But I think end of the day, I went with Teo mainly because of how consistent he was and how much he played. I think Baisley would have made sense. Like you said, if the, how he played down the stretch of the season was the entire season, but he a was injured and he struggled a lot at the start of the season. How he came back was really impressive. Um, but I just don't think the production was there all season. Now, obviously Shea only played 35 games total, but he was this level of good for all 35 of those games. Whereas Baisley was, much better in the last 20 games or whatever the exact number was um, in the first kind of 30 or so games he played. I like putting Maladon in there. Um, I considered him for multiple other awards on this list. So I guess we can talk about him more later, but just overall, I think it makes sense that we all mentioned Shea. I think we all mentioned Lou. Those guys are kind of bedrocks for the team going forward. And I think Maladon isn't proven bedrock, you know, building block status yet, um, but he had as about as impressive of a rookie season as uh, I think you could hope for for a second-round pick. So definitely worth some love there. Mm-hmm. Let's do a most improved player second. I um, I went with Shea. Um, there's a lot of guys who I think have a case for this award on this team, but to me, the most impressive leap you can make is from very good player to – well, the most impressive leap you can make is from star player to, like, all-NBA player, like what Jokic did this season or Giannis did a couple of seasons ago. But beyond that, the Thunder didn't have anybody already at that level. Going from very good, like Shea was last season, to, like, borderline all-star level this season with not a ton of help around him in terms of the supporting cast, um, I think is the most impressive leap you can make. So I had him first, and I did put Dort there as well. Dort really, really improved from last season. He got up to 34% for three, which is league average, which is huge. He was at like 29% or something last year. His playmaking and ball handling was way improved from last year. He could do more with the ball in his hands. Um, I don't think his defense actually improved. I think it was for the first 75% of the season as good as it was last season. I think his defense went down a little bit at the end of the season because the Thunder were kind of using him as a point guard for long stretches. Um, but his defense was overall still super impressive while taking on a bigger offensive load. So wanted to give him some love there too, but I think, I think I would give it to Shea. I have to disagree. 
I think I had Shane number two on my list, I had Dalton number three, but my number one was Isaiah Roby. <laughs> Last season, although he played sparingly, I didn't think he looked that great. And to be honest, before the season, I said this to Clemente, I would rather have kept Frank Jackson than Isaiah Roby. And yet he's just impressed all season long. You look at his stats, there's nothing that impressive. He averaged 9.6 rebounds, two assists on 55.5% true shooting, which is pretty average. But it's just what he's shown in terms of his skill set. He's shown that he can handle the ball and play make a little bit. He's happy to, you know, score from the mid-range, can get his look at the rim. And he knows where to be. And we've just sort of seen like a vast improvement from him. And to me, I think just on the scope of that improvement and development of his skills, to me, it has to be Roby. I think he's the most improved player this season. Yeah, he's technically eligible because he played three games in his rookie season. Um, yeah, that's a good one too. It's hard for me to, you know, um, Roby almost feels more like a rookie, right, than like a guy who like comparing for in terms of, you know, most improved player you want to compare what they did this season, last season. He did absolutely nothing last season, but since he touched the court in three games, he's not eligible for an award like rookie of the year. Um, but certainly to go from a guy who like maybe wasn't going to, we didn't think was going to make in the NBA or had any NBA skills to be like a regular part of the rotation. Someone who I think the Thunder will plan to keep in the rotation, at least for the next couple of years. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a good one, JD. I didn't even consider him too much for that one, but I like that. I was thinking um, Kenneth Williams as my most improved player, because when you look at who he was at the beginning of the season to where he is now, like he's improved a lot. Like when we first acquired him, he was one of those guys where nobody really knew who he was. I know as preseason and training camp went by, everybody predicted him to be a bottom of roster guy who would probably cut in favor of like Frank Jackson, like JD said, who was like a big preseason darling for most under fans. <laughs> but Kenrich, he ended the season being like one of the locker room leaders and like Mark Daniel even attest to it uh, during his uh, end of season uh, interview with how Kenrich Williams is basically like one of the locker room guys. And he's somebody that all the young players look up to because of his experience. And, and I guess the fun to really value him as well, because I think Zach, I think it was Zach Lowe reported that and there was like multiple playoff teams who reached out to the funder uh, to trade for him. And I guess Kendrick Williams said he would rather stay in OKC and OKC abided by his uh, request. So Kendrick's definitely for me, he went from like a bottom of the roster guy to, I guess, one of the locker room leaders and like one of the more uh, consistent players on the team this season. Well, for me, you know, I, I think this is the award that was hardest for me because I feel like everybody kind of contributed in a way that you could say that they were improved from last year. Uh, ben, I agree with you. SGA taking that leap from all-star to all-NBA level player. Um, I also agree with uh, the other guys with Ken Rich and also with uh, Isaiah Roby. But ultimately, I think I went with uh, – uh, I'm sorry. I went, I went with Dort. I went with Lou Dort just because, you know, the way he played offensively and defensively and he kind of stepped up his game in both ways. And I think he went from maybe being a guy that you might have seen as possibly a six-man or – or maybe just a role player to a guy that's actually going to contribute as a team on this team as one of the main players and one of the guys that they're going to kind of build around, I think. So I think if you go just from improvement from last year to this year, that's why I went with Dort. Um, I think I'd have to mention Basley too, if you just went from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Um, like you said earlier, Ben, you know, that leap he took from not playing real well before the injury to after the injury playing real well. Um, I just think that's worth talking about as well, but Ultimately, I went with Dort just, you know, from last season to this year, improvements on both sides of the ball. 
I think that's a totally reasonable one too. That was who I had number two. And I did uh, save, didn't feel too bad about having Ludor at second for both MVP and most improved because I, uh, I did give him defensive player of the year, which I suspect is probably unanimous. Yeah. I don't even think there's a ton to say there. I guess Horford did help the team's defense a lot from the center position, both um, with his skills and just kind of like the experience level on the back end, but he didn't play a ton of games. Um, and I think Dort was overall, even with Horford out there, Dort's ability to take on the hardest assignment on the opposing team, whether that's a point guard sized guy or someone all the way up to like a LeBron James sized guy, I think was the most important thing for the Thunder's defense this year. And um, like I said earlier, to kind of continue to do that, even while taking on a bigger and bigger offensive load as the season went on, I think he might've slipped a little bit um, towards the end of the season, just on things like getting around screens and stuff like that. But in terms of like lock in one-on-one isolation type plays, I thought he was still good as ever, even while taking on that bigger offensive load. And I don't think Ludor will ever have as big of an offensive load as he did in the last 25 games of the season ever again in his career. There's always going to be someone like Shea on the court with him or, um, if he's playing with the the backups, someone else who's going to take on more of the ball handling responsibilities, that's going to free him up to continue to play defense at, at possibly an even higher level because he's still only 23 years old. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be Dort. I mean, you could probably name some other players, but if you think defense, you're thinking of that guy right there. And, you know, the leaps, like we said, the leaps from last year to this year, and like you just said, on the ball and off the ball. Um, I think we talked about it all season, maybe in the podcast. I know I wrote about it a couple times and, the Thunder broadcasters talked about it a lot. The off-the-ball screens, offensive fouls that he was drawing, maybe a finish leading the league, I'm not sure. And then, like you said, on the ball, just being able to lock down isolation guys and, you know, getting the experience, guarding some of the better players in the league, um, that he's got to be the choice. Maybe maybe you could say, like, we keep mentioning Baisley as honorable mention just because he took on some different challenges towards the end of the year, guarding some different positions and stuff. But, I mean, overall, it's got to be Dort. Also, he's 22, not 23, so he's even younger than I was giving him credit for. So there's plenty of room to grow there. Anyone to throw out, J.D., besides uh, besides Lou? I mean, when I dug into the numbers, like when I was doing preparation for this, I feel that you can make a strong case for Horford. I mean, personally, I thought ahead of him, but if you look at Horford, like he had 2.7 deep PPM this season, which I thought was pretty impressive, and he was 3.8 in defensive Raptor. So you can clearly see that from what his box score was and the advanced numbers suggest is that he had an impact on Thunder. And the eye test backs that up because you can see when he was in the interior, when he was playing on the court and he was defending the interior, it was a lot harder for people to get, it was a lot harder for other teams to get looks at the rim. And you can kind of see that reflected in the team's defensive rating stat. I think the Thunder were 14th in defensive rating in the 28 games that he played. For a team that's very young and quite inexperienced, you'd expect them to be towards the bottom. And it seems that Horford, for whatever reason, had a very big impact because if, just on the basis of a lot, like if you take, you've taken Horford off the team now and the Thunder absolutely tanked in terms of defence, he's been very good as like an organiser and as a leader, getting people into their sets and telling them where they need to go. And I think he brought that in terms of value. But no, I think he's a very strong number two, I would say. Yeah, I think um, for me, it came down to Ludor played in a lot more games than Al Horford did, partly because the Thunder didn't want Al Horford to keep playing. Um, but it's an interesting thing about defense, right? Like generally like a back of the line defender, a big man rim protector type, not that Al Horford's like 
a classic center rim protector, but he plays the center position. He is probably more important to your defense than a wing defender is. Just, that's why Ruby Gobert is going to win so many defensive player of the years in his career and why Embiid's a candidate and things like that. Um, because Horford isn't just locking down one guy. He's focused on help defense, rim protection, directing other guys where to go from the back of the defense. The Thunder's all the numbers you throw out there back up the eye test, in my opinion, right? The, um, the Thunder just kind of looked like a pretty solid defensive team in the first half of the season when Horford, and there were other things that were different in the first half of the season. It wasn't just Horford, but I think he was a major contributor to that. It's funny because he actually like did not look as good as he normally did on defense when he played in Philadelphia last year, but I think part of that was the weird roster construction and playing power forward instead of center. I think back at center, he was able to focus more on the things he does well on that side of the ball. Um, and yeah, the Thunder being that good the first half of the season also, I think a little credit goes to, to Dagnall for that, who we're not going to talk about because there's only one candidate for coach of the year, so we didn't bother with that one. But I think you can kind of throw out the second half of the season when management basically told him we we're no longer trying to win games, but for how pretty solid the Thunder were up until the All-Star break, like going to the All-Star break, they were in contention for that last playing spot with a roster that was very, very young. Um, and with Horford sitting out back-to-backs with George Hill barely playing, they were an organized team. They were pretty solid defensively, as you mentioned, about 14th um, for the first half of the season. Um, and they competed every night. I think Dagnall gets some credit for that too. But absolutely, I think if Horford had played the entire season, if this was a different Thunder team with different goals, he might be the guy we picked for Defensive Player of the Year. But Dort, to me, gets the nod because he played a lot more. Um, but I totally agree with you. Horford's a strong, strong number two. And He's going to probably be like somewhere else next year. This is probably going to have been his one season in Oklahoma City, and not that many people watched Oklahoma City this year, but he, he deserves a little love for the season he gave the Thunder and for uh, being willing to sit down when the Thunder asked him to as well. Did you want to throw anything out, Clemente, or should we go on to the next one? No, I think you guys covered it all. I mean, Dort's the one guy on the roster who has, like, all defensive NBA team potential. Um, but as you guys were saying with Horford, is, when you guys were talking about Horford, how great he was doing all the small things, it kind of gave me a bittersweet feeling knowing that it, we were this close to like him being on a team of like, you know, Durant, Westbrook, Oladipo, Adams. But yeah, too little, too late. It would have been great to uh, have him here whenever, you know, we were actually trying to win. <laughs> I try not to think about that team, that potential team very much because it was so, would have been so scary on paper, but uh, different choices were made. So we got the teams we got. If we had Horford for that season and Durant took a one year deal or whatever it was, I think the Thunder win a title. Yeah, I think on a talent right, standpoint, I think so. I mean, yeah, Billy's not the best was not the best coach around, but on a talent standpoint. We can we can do 60 seconds on this because I actually that is something I've thought about a lot. Um, that would have fixed pretty much all their problems from the previous season, right? Like Horford, Abaka can play center. I think Horford is better as a power forward who can slide to center than Abaka is while still providing that floor spacing. Um, so they would have been if they wanted to go to that look, right? Like they sometimes did, they had it, but if they wanted to play the giant lineup like the old uh, Cantor Adams thing that they did sometimes against Golden State, they could have done it with Adams and Horford, which is more skilled. I think Oladipo obviously grew into becoming a starting guy, but if he was the sixth man coming off the bench on that team, that would have fixed their problem of having nothing coming off the bench the previous season except Deion Waiters. Um, and obviously, Russ and our reality won MVP that season, and Durant was very, very good in Golden State. I definitely think if, if that had worked out, maybe they could have won the title, but you know. They could have won the title the year before, even with the more limited rush they had, and they could have won the title the year Patrick Beverly destroyed Russell Westbrook's knee, and they could have won blah, 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 blah. It's not – you drive yourself insane if you think too much about that stuff. Clemente, do you want to go first for uh, sixth man of the year then, since we all talked over you for defensive player of the year? 
<laughs> yeah. So for six man a year, I don't know when the criteria you want was like somebody who didn't start at least half the games, but like there's like eight guys that played at least 28 games. So just based off of that, I went with Kenrich again. Uh, probably the same reasons. He was uh, he was a great contributor for the team. He did a little bit of everything, uh, as Mark noted and Sam noted. He's probably like one of the more valuable guys off the court. So I, I, I went with Kenrich just because of the fact that, you know, he didn't actually end up starting <laughs> over half the games. Because this season, there were no specific starting lineup. It was very fluid. Guys were coming in and off out of uh, games. So it was kind of hard to, like, choose, like, di- differentiate, like, which guys were stars and which guys were bench players. Yeah, there were multiple guys who I was thinking about and then realized they started too many games to actually count as a six-man because of injuries or people sitting out and stuff like that. I think Kenny's a good one. Um, would you have J.D. and Trey? I mean, I looked at it. Obviously, Kenny was probably top of my list and then Ty Jerome. But I thought just to give a player who we probably won't mention, Ahamadou Diallo, I think he deserves a lot of love. For I know he only played what up until the all-star break in Oklahoma City, but how he played and the fact that we saw a totally different player to what we saw last season. And you could kind of see during those early sort of months when the Thunder's bench unit was surprisingly good. It was him and Kenrich leading the way. He was a micro scorer off the bench. who provided a bit of playmaking, good scoring, athleticism, a decent defense. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think... For me, like he was third on my list, I would say, and then obviously Ty was number two. But Trey can get to that one, I think. Yeah. Um, they, oh, you go ahead, Trey. You had. Uh, yeah, I went with Jerome. You know, just I think you guys are all right. I think at any point during the season, you could probably or pick out a different guy to be the sixth man of the year, the best bench player, the the guy that come out. I think Kenrich is one of those dudes that you know just hits the floor. He's going to play every night. He's going to give you the same thing every night. Hustle, good defense. You know, it kind of fits that six-man role. Um, but I just went with Jerome basically because I feel like he kind of took over that second unit towards the end of the year and became the go-to guy. Um, obviously, playing the backup point guard, you know, that's going to be a big deal. And he kind of grew into that role and, you know, presented himself as a very valuable player. And I think maybe even going forward, he's going to be a valuable player on this team. So that's kind of why I went with him. Yeah, so I, I listed Diallo, too. I think if he had played the whole season here, he would have been in the running for this and most improved player. Um, obviously, they made the decision to trade him to the Pistons. Um, but he was he was awesome this first half of the season, especially for a guy who, besides winning the dunk contest, did virtually nothing his first two seasons in the league to come in and functionally be the backup point guard for the first half of the season. His scoring was pretty efficient, despite the fact that he didn't take any threes because he was actually very, very good at getting to the rim. Like uh, J.D. mentioned, he had... How would Diallo averaging more than two assists per game in, you know, bench minutes, not starting minutes, is, would be shocking if you watched him the year before that where he pretty much didn't seem to do anything except try to attack the rim and occasionally take a three ball that whiffed pretty badly. So the, the kind of feel he had for the game that he demonstrated in that first half of the year is, was impressive. And I think through the first half of the season, he, he was the sixth man. Um, and for the second half of the season, I think Ty Jerome was the sixth man of the year candidate. He really did run the offense, as Trey said which was the thing I didn't kind of expect from Tri-Jerome this season. I expected the shooting. That's kind of, you know, white guy. Um, and that's what he was known for in college. He was a great three-point shooter this season. Um, 44% from the field, 42% from three, because he barely took any shots besides threes um, or like wide open layups. But what did impress me that I wasn't expecting was his playmaking field. He was able to really run a pick and roll and actually like create good looks out of it. Um kind of commanded offense, whereas I really was expecting more to see him as like an off-ball shooter who occasionally 
would attack closeouts, but no, he would, he would initiate the Thunder's offense. Um, I thought he was very impressive at that. But so since it's Diall for the first half of the season, Ty Jerome for the second half of the season, I think Kenny gets it for the season as a whole because he was the most consistent guy, played in the most games. And there is more to being a six man than just scoring off the bench. I guess traditionally that is the kind of guy who wins it, like a Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford or whatever. Um, Kenny kind of more reminds me of like the guys like Andre Guadal, who actually never won six man of the year, but was really important coming off the bench for Golden State because of his defense, his smarts, the hustle stuff, and then also the ability to do some playmaking and some scoring. So I, I would give it to Kenny as well. Ty Jerome Strong second and Hamadou Diallo honorable mention as well. Um, and I'm excited to see more of Hamadou Diallo in Detroit or wherever he ends up after this going forward. But I liked him. I was excited when he won the dunk contest and him turning into a actually good player this first half of the season was very exciting for me. So I hope he continues to thrive in that kind of role going forward. Rookie of the year. There's two guys who OKC drafted and technically um, a couple other guys like Dak or Charlie Brown would be eligible for this too. But who did you guys go for rookie of the year? Uh, Sorry. Okay. Is it good? There you go, Clinton. I was going to say, I feel like the safe choice is probably Teo because we all, we all, I think when Teo was drafted, we all thought that he probably had a high floor, low ceiling type of trajectory when it came to his career. And so far, when season in, he's really provided that. He played the most minutes on the team. And through the most of it, he played pretty safely, pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, I think Teo, I think Poku was just too bad for the first half of the season to like, really uh take him over Teo. Teo is much more uh stable when it comes to like outer season progress. Yeah, I think Poku has over Teo um highlight reel plays because the only time Teo was on a highlight reel was that time he missed two layups on the same play. Um but beyond that Teo was the much more solid player. Um shot it decently well played off ball kind of because since he was classified as a point guard and I hadn't watched any French basketball. I was expecting to see him more in on-ball role. He actually played a decent amount off-ball, either next to Shea or next to a guy like Ty Jerome, but could run the pick and roll as well. Could be the second operator on a unit. Um, thought he was totally solid, above expectations for a guy taken in the second round. Part of that is guys taken in the second round don't usually get the opportunity Tao got, given how young this team is and how many players missed games and stuff like that. But he was really good. Um, I think for him to have scored the ball relatively um, well from three-point land, even if the ability to get to the um, the mid-range and the shots at the rim wasn't quite as good. The three-point shooting kind of made him at least a somewhat uh, valuable offensive threat to score the ball, and then his playmaking ability was pretty solid. Um, defensively, I thought he was okay. He's got size and tools. Um, again, for half of the season, nobody on the team was even trying on defense, so it gets harder and harder to assess guys, but I thought he overall was a very solid rookie. And I don't want to, like, make fun of Poku too much. He was obviously, like, not very good for most of the season, but he was way better after he came back from the G League bubble. I think that's worth pointing out. I think that was really good for him. I think when he came back, he was a little more under control. I still have no idea if he's what position he'll even play long-term or if he'll survive in the NBA long-term, but just the occasional stuff, right? Like the occasional, like insane cross-court pass um, really, really makes you think that there could be something there. Now, he also, the like passes he threw off the backboard because he threw them too high and things like that, but when it's working with um, Poku, you see the ceiling. And what, to Clemente's point, um, Maladon definitely is a high floor, probably lower ceiling guy. Poku, the ceiling might be the highest of anybody on this team, but the floor might be the lowest of anybody on this team too. So I think if you're grading them, like, you know, Maladon would be like a like a B and Poku is just incomplete. There's just so much we still don't know about him. 
No, that sounds about fair to me. I think with Teo, like he was just steady, reliable, consistent. And even when the Thunder were losing players to injury and all this kind of stuff, he was always available, stepped in, took a much bigger role than towards the end of the year, bigger than probably what I would have expected. Obviously, with Shea going down and uh, George Hill not being here, he was, the, you know, number one point. He was a number one guard, you know, lead guard, run the offense. And that's what he did. And I thought he did pretty good with it. Uh, Poku, to me, I just thought his growth, like you could kind of see him putting it together just before he went away to the G League. You could kind of see him starting to work things out, but he came back from the G League. And you could kind of see that he had a bit of a pace. He was patient when he was handling the ball, knew how to run the pick and roll, had very good passing vision. And I thought that he had showed a lot of technical ability. I just think for him, the next step is just to keep going, get a bit stronger. So when he actually goes into the lane and takes a bit of contact, the ball didn't just slip out of his hands. And just play a little bit um, smoother, a bit more controlled, maybe a bit slower. Just bring it down to 95% rather than being 100% ball to the wall all the time. I think that'll help him out big time. Yeah, I went with Teo too. I mean, I had him as the as my third choice for MVP, so <laughs> he's got to be my rookie of the year. Poku had a great year, but I think like you guys all said, Teo was solid, consistent, um, played the most minutes, played the most games on the team. And honestly, I'll be I'll be interested to see what kind of league wide uh, rookie garnishments he gets, you know, after the playoffs and when they start naming all that stuff. But yeah, I went with Teo. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of buzz for him, like to make rookie, all rookie second team. Maybe it seems like he's probably going to miss out on that, but like everyone at least has some kind of like honorable mention stuff like that, which for a second round player is pretty good. So our last award we're going to do was most surprising player, which was JD's suggestion. So we'll let him go first. Who is your most surprising player? I mean, honestly, it's Moses Brown. I think with Moses, I didn't expect anything from him. And when I first saw him, he was, Obviously, lanky, but quite a skinny-looking guy. And the back of my head, I just thought, this guy's just going to get dominated because I didn't think that he had the physical size to play centre in the NBA or didn't think he had the speed. And yet, like, he's shown that he can be very effective in the sort of, like, a very low-usage, high-efficiency role where he gets the ball primarily out of pick-and-rolls or out of putbacks, and he just rebounds the hell out of the ball and tries to block shots and defence really and plays really hard. He impressed me with that, and I think... Possibly he's overtaking Tony Bradley. For me, I thought Tony Bradley would have kept him at the deadline. But now, like, looking back on it, I think I'd rather say Moses than Tony. So he's kind of grown a lot in my estimation, I have to say. Would you say, Trey? I actually agree with JD on Moses. Uh, You know, coming in in the middle of the year, um, earning that contract, you know, I think it was the 2020 game he had. You know, just really impressive as the center after Horford went down. So, when I was thinking about most biggest surprises of the year, I think you really expected nothing out of this guy. And then all of a sudden, he's the starting center. He's making an impact offensively. He's making an impact defensively. He may not be as far along as, you know, a lot of people hope or, you know, there's still a lot of things for him to work on. But, you know, I agree with J.D. When it comes to just being surprised, you know, what kind of left out, I went with Moses Brown and playing that center position after after Horford decided to quit playing the rest of the season. Well, just to mix it up a bit, I picked Savi just because whenever the trade went down, I think most people were thinking about, oh, I guess they did this for a second round pick or, oh, I guess they did this to like make the team worse because Tommy was playing too good for us to tank. But I don't know, 30 games in OKC, Savi played pretty well. He averaged over double-digit points. He shot the free ball. 
at a respectable level. He he became super athletic all of a sudden with the Thunder, and now there's a point. Now he, he's gotten to a point where he could legit get like a, a contract extension this offseason since he's about to be a restricted free agent. And I, I, th- I don't think many Thunder fans would be that upset if that was the case since Wolf Woody's shown in his 30 games here. I think those are both um, good picks. There is one player on the entire Thunder's roster who had a positive net rating uh, for the season where the Thunder actually outscored their opponents in all the minutes he played. And that was Mike Muscala. <laughs> Um, for Mike Muscala to get, I thought going into the season, right? Everyone knew the Thunder probably weren't going to try to win. So the, like, you probably thought Al Horford might get traded. The shutdown thing was weird for the Thunder to quietly also have to shut down Muscala because he was helping them win too much is kind of surprising given his career. I think he actually was pretty good in OKC last year too. And that kind of bench role. Um, but Mike Muscala was kind of good on defense this year, right? He's not like your classic room protector type, but he like his positioning was pretty decent he did a good job containing kind of like um, when he played with other centers he could kind of do the work of chasing guys around if he needed to his shooting was pretty good this season and I I this I was Mike Muscala being like an actually like good player um, obviously was not in Sam Presti's plans since he had to then give Mike the the shutdown talk to although they didn't need to put out a press release for that one but um I even thought by the time the trade deadline came around that Mike Muscala might get traded for something of actual value because he was actually helping the Thunder win games. Um, so that is my most surprising player, and I think he deserves a little bit of love. He also talked about how much he liked being in Oklahoma City and how much he respected the organization and enjoyed being here, which I think Presti in his press conference today mentioned is like being touched by Mike Muscala saying that. So I picked Mike Muscala for that. Um, he's had a very weird NBA career where he's never – gotten a ton of respect that trade between the Lakers and the Clippers a couple of years ago got pretty widely mocked, but in a season that nobody really watched Oklahoma city, except weirdos like us, I think Mike Muscala had a pretty solid season. So I did pick up for my most surprising player. I agree with you. I think Muscala was sat the rest of the year for a reason. And I think you're right on. I think he was going to help the bench too much and give them too much of a chance to win. So yeah, that's a good pick. Highest uh, effective field goal percentage in true shooting of his career. Wow. It's pretty weird that I don't know. It's something weird about the fact that he would rather like stay here and not play any minutes, than, you know, get bought out and like go sign up for a, a title contender. Something about that is just weird to me. But I don't know. Maybe it just speaks speaks volumes about the Thunder's like entire culture and organization. I think right. maybe some of it comes down to the fact for the first time because I know he plays. He was drafted by Atlanta, played the, his first year in Spain, came off the bench for Atlanta in very limited minutes. And then he was traded from, they signed with Philly, traded to LA, then traded to the Clippers. Oh, it was it Clippers to LA? I promise you. Clippers to LA. Went to the Clippers, got traded to the Lakers. So I think it's the first time really he's had stability in his career. But then there's also the fact he genuinely seems to like Oklahoma City. I was on the call the other day and it was genuinely made me a little bit emotional to think, wow, this guy really seems to want to be here. You can clearly see that he feels something for the Thunder and genuinely cares. And I just think you have to keep him. Whatever it is, I don't. I can't see Presley letting him go because this guy is like a culture guy. I'd say, like, he may not do all that much. Perhaps he he can be the next the next Nick Collison. Perhaps doesn't have the resume, but if he genuinely cares about the Thunder, then why not? Right. No, I totally agree. I think he was very good this season, and it seemed like he was uh, well liked in the locker room and things like that, and just a good culture guy, as you said. So I'd I'd be happy to keep Mike Muscala around on that same on the Nick Collison kind of uh, kind of deal. I think that's uh, 
all our awards. So we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be have more off season content on the way here. And uh, thanks for listening.